This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forster, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. And this week, Ryan Foy is joining me. Ryan's a three-time author, uh, loves talking and encouraging people on health. And uh, you're going to see where some some challenges at a very young age is what set him on that path. And it was like, didn't stop him from, you know, not being in a gym. He was helping people out. I mean, Ryan's got a huge heart. Absolutely love it. So I'm really encouraged and excited to uh, to have this conversation with Ryan today. Ryan, how are you doing today, my friend? Good, Mike. Good. Thanks for having me on here. Um, and for listeners who are tuning in, welcome. Um, and uh, yeah, get ready to to hear some good stories here over the next little while. Yeah, I, our conversation. You have been super patient because there's been stuff that's gone on in my life where I've been, Ryan. I. I can't make it this time. You know, I've got to, I've got to cancel out because I need to be at the hospital with a family member, you know, different stuff went on. So I appreciate your patience in making this happen. So thank you very much. Um, Hey, I'd love to start off talking about what does the professional side of life look like for you today? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I often say if we're in the Burj Khalifa going up the, you know, the tallest building in the world, we would have a long time in the elevator to talk about it. But, um, but instead we're on a podcast. So, uh, just, you know, real quick, I guess what I really do is I kind of dance and play at the intersection of, uh, education and business, uh, and really wellness and well being in the wellness industry. Um, so I, I kind of work full time for a nonprofit that supports health and physical education in schools. My writing really permeates into personal growth and well being. And then in my business, uh, also focused on that health and wellness side, but also on that entrepreneurship and um, and, and business front. So kind of live there on the edge. Um, you know, there's like probably like multiple boxes in the room and I probably jump in and out of those boxes uh, if you're kind of painting a, a visual of that. So yeah, it's a lot of fun and uh, who knows where I'll be in five or 10 years, but uh, right now it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was going to say, and it's and it's been pretty busy for you, especially on the personal side. Congratulations on your new place, man, having moved from from Ottawa back over to uh, eastern part of Canada. So what does life look like on the personal side for you today? Yeah, so we also, on top of all this, just bought a puppy. And um, so his name is Dash. He's a four pound miniature Dash hound. Um, and he's amazing. It adds a lot of joy to our to our home, fills our home. Um, but yeah, life right now is I, I work full-time remote, work full-time my business remote. Um, and yeah, just, you know, consistent outdoor physical activity every day, whether it's going for a walk on the trails, running to the ocean. Um, life is quieter than it was in the big city. And I think, you know, COVID was probably a result. I think a lot of people probably migrated to some of those uh, more quieter parts of, of the world. And and I'm finding that I actually have a lot more space mentally uh, for my focus, for my writing, 
just for my overall well-being. I, I don't know if it's like something in the salt air out here in the Maritimes or if it's like the clear skies or what it is, but um, my blood pressure is lower, I think. And um, yeah, I'm definitely a lot happier. So life life uh, is good. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Congratulations again, both, both on the little puppy and your new home, man. Thank you. Hopefully I'll slow down. I uh, be like, okay, maybe I'll just take a couple months here <laughs> before we jump into the next thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Do lots of uh, walking on the beach, I would think, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get him a little life jacket so we can take him out uh, on the beach <laughs> this summer so he doesn't, doesn't go underwater. But yeah, it should be fun this summer. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I was going to say, I can just see you guys getting like a surfboard and putting him on it. <laughs> ride the waves in there you go right right yeah well let's jump back a bit um actually i guess quite a bit so um you would at one point like your passion for wellness came from having migraines at the young age of 12 but where so many of us might be like well this is just like you know a sentence for life i'm stuck with migraines that wasn't what how you addressed it can you take us back to that time and what was going on and then how you moved through that diagnosis? Yeah, absolutely. So like you mentioned, Mike, I was, I was 12 years old and, um, you know, to paint the picture for folks, I was probably, you know, a little bit on the, on the heavier side at that point in my, in my life, I was very inactive. Uh, I played a lot of video games at that point. I think it was a lot of super Mario back in those days. Um, I lived out in the country and there wasn't really much to do unless you love the outdoors. And I did like the outdoors, but it was, you know, more so I was more entertained by games and TV and things like that. Um, so yeah, like basically at 12, I, I kept getting these chronic migraines. It just kept coming, uh, wave after wave and, um, you know, different, I was trying different things. Nothing was working. My parents were concerned. So I was really fortunate. I was part of a, a study through a local university um, to figure out kind of alternative interventions, lifestyle interventions to, uh, you know, uh, kind of deal with this. So what they actually had me do was journal. So uh, for, I think, two months, I journaled everything I ate, everything I did, how often I slept, how long I slept. And, you know, you kind of follow the breadcrumbs. Um uh, to see, okay, well, what days did I not get the migraines? Um, and why, why did I not get them? And at the end of the the two months of that, what we found out the common thread through all of the days that I wasn't getting migraines was that I was, that it was the days I was physically active. So when I was outside playing, whether it was shooting hoops, whether it was going for a walk in the woods or whatever it was, um, I was less likely if, if at all, getting headaches on those days. So picture this as your 12 year old self, like this is pretty foundational to learn at that age, you know, okay, if I'm physically active, I'm going to feel good. (laughs) You know, most of us don't quite get there until we're adults. And then we realize, Hmm, you know, I feel better when I'm active. Right. But, you know, at 12 years old, I realized if I'm going to live the rest of my life, not being a victim, not being, in the circumstance of getting these headaches, I need to be active every day. And so that's really where kind of my wellness journey and passion for that area has really taken off. Um, you know, I, my first love, I think was running and then it's kind of morphed into biking and swimming. And now it's just a little bit of everything. 
But yeah, it, it was really a moment where, you know, when I was looking at, at, uh, at basically the data in front of me, you know, I had to make a decision. Do I want to just try the, and see if this will continue to work and be physically active every day or do, you know, do I try something else because I just, it's easier to take a medication. And, uh, and I'm really glad that, you know, my former self, uh, chose the physical activity side. Um, and it's really the catalyst for what I do today, who really part of my identity. And, um, and, you know, as I look back, I'm in a way, I'm almost grateful that, that, that happened because had, had I, you know, getting that, getting that understanding to such an early age is just so important and, um, you know, really challenging at the time, but it really set me on this whole other path. I would have never maybe been on, maybe I'd still be, you know, sitting in my parents' basement playing video games if it wasn't for that. So, um, yeah, that, that, that was definitely where it all started for me. So did you keep up the habit of kind of journaling? Cause it seems like that gave you some of the insight at that time. Is that something you still do as like a habit or activity for yourself to get clarity or insights? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I have so many of these journals floating around. And when we actually moved into this new house, I found a bunch of them and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot I had all these other journals. And um, I find I go, I kind of go through seasons with my journal too, where it's a little bit more intense in my writing. Sometimes it's more just notes. Um, sometimes it turns into a bit of a task list too, personally, and things that I want to do. But yeah, that that really was also where where journaling started for me, and, and I'm also really grateful of that lesson. Um, you know, and it's one of those things that in school you don't really get too much of. Uh, you kind of there there's some activities around it you can do, but um, I don't know. For me, it was always just an outlet. It was always just you know part part of therapy, really, to kind of you know go whatever emotions you're going through, whatever you're kind of dealing with, you could write it out. Um, and again, like you know, I grew up in a really small town and there wasn't many people around or much to do. So to be able to write and, and, and journal as an outlet was really, really important. Um, yeah, yeah. I would say it's, it's definitely been something I've been doing for a long time. Um, and I know that like along the way, like your focus on wellness led you to like leading physical, like, um, like group activity almost, I guess is like workouts. Right. And most yeah. of us think, Hey, I'm going to go to the gym. Uh, you know, this is where I've got to be, but you were actually working out of like the hatchback of your car, which I was like, dude, that is just so amazing. Like, let's give it a shot. Let's see if people will just come to the party. It's like walking around with like, you know, a, a Bluetooth speaker and playing music to see if people will dance. How did you, how did you get that to come out? Cause I mean, if I remember correctly, you grew up in a town in Nova Scotia that was like 13, 1500 people and you're doing something that's drawing attention to you, which, you know, a lot of people from like a smaller situation are kind of like, okay, I want to keep this kind of confined, you know, small group. You're doing something that's going to draw attention. Like, how did you, how did you get to that point of just saying, I'm going to give it a shot and what I'm passionate about, I'm going to see if other people will join me. Yeah, you know, th this is kind of like the roots of my entrepreneur journey. Um, so, yeah, pa paint this picture too uh, for listeners that are tuning in. So, mid twenties or so early twenties, drive around in this silver Hyundai hatchback with a twelve-inch subwoofer in the back, and uh, you know, every time you turn on the music, 
the the license plate on the on the hatchback would just rattle. So I for a while I thought I had a loose wire on the sub, but then I realized it's just the license plate. Um, but yeah, then I'd throw in the sledgehammer. So I had a sledgehammer in the back. I had bands and you know your kind of the program for the day, and then you know some other things. And yeah, I just ran a you know mobile business out of the out of the the hatchback of the car. But you know. Prior to that, I was uh, in university. I, I studied uh, human kinetics, uh, the science of human movement. Obviously, you know, you know my story from twelve years old, being passionate about about movement, having the opportunity to study that um, and really become a professional in that space was huge for me. And and when I was in university, I kind of started my my personal training business at that point. Um, and actually, one of your former guests, Tony Horton, was a big inspiration of mine. Uh, I used to do a lot of his workouts in the winter and, um, and I just love the energy. And so I kind of, you know, took the show on the road when I had the car. And, and at that point in my life, I was kind of transitioning from university into this kind of career life that I was trying to, to create for myself. And so I had this window of opportunity just to kind of test and pilot and try something. And, um, and yeah, so every Wednesday I drive my car up to a field in, in my hometown uh, people would just drop in, they, you know, pay 20 bucks cash or whatever it was. And uh, yeah, we, we, I didn't know how many people would show up. Um, I knew the music we were going to play and I knew the workout I was going to do. And, and I think people really like that. You know, they like the element of surprise. They like, you know, showing up and also being like, I don't know what I'm going to get today, but I'm going to get something good. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, it kind of created a little bit more of a community, which, which was really fun. Um, and when I think back to that, I have some good fond memories of, of those days, you know, it was a very lean operation. Uh, there was not a lot of overhead, just, you know, gas money and stuff, but, uh, yeah, just a lot of fun back, uh, back doing that. Yeah. Making, making sure that subwoofer is still pumping it out. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I recently sold that and that was a milestone for me where I'm like, oh, do, you know, am I ever going to have a car again where I can put that in? You know how the new cars work, right? The new cars are. Uh, you can't you can't wire those things in like you used to. So I uh, I kind of you know I finally bit the bullet and said okay I'll I'll sell this. But you know I'm hoping somebody got, who purchased it uh, is going to do that. You know do their thing with that subwoofer and maybe do their own business out of the car or something. But it was it was good when it lasted. That's so cool. I love it. That's the one thing like in your story, you're not afraid to step out and try things. You don't know the like necessarily like the path like you and i have had conversations you know leading leading up to this man i come from where if i tried something i wanted to know all the way from a to z and that was you know birth from my belief that if i failed or screwed up that made me a failure and so i wanted to know everything that was going to happen but you have such like a a spirit of just, I'm going to risk. Um, I'm going to step out and give this a shot and see what happens. And I love watching that and seeing how it's played out. You know, a subwoofer in the back of your car, just opening the hatchback and seeing, hey, who's going to show up? And, you know, how are we going to work out? How are, how's the community going to grow? Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, you're touching, touching on a lot of things in that, just having faith that this will come about. Um, so I want to step back a little bit. Like when you went to university, um, 
you said you were studying kinesiology and and health how how was your time at university like what was the experience and and where what was that season in life like for you yeah so this was probably a, it started it was a really challenging time for me so uh, you know when i came out of high school um you know i thought like most small town uh folks that come out they're like oh yeah like i did pretty good in school so i must be really really smart um and uh and so when i went to university i realized that there's a whole other world out there not just the town of 1300 people and the 25 people in your graduating class um and so in my freshman year you know i was i was failing um my first term i was failing pretty much every course or two thirds of the courses I was enrolled in, uh, I got sick. Um, and I remember my philosophy professor actually called me into his office and, uh, and I don't know why actually, when I look back, maybe I was just like a really astute student and I showed up to every class and I was very driven in that way. But anyway, he uh, called me into his office. I'll never forget it. And he sat me down and, um, he said, Brian, uh, I, before I show you the mark on this paper, I need to tell you that whoever your English teacher was, they need to not be t- teaching English. And, uh, and I said, this isn't good. And that's when I found out I failed my first university paper. So I kind of went from the high of the high in, in, in high school to the realities of university that, you know, this is not going to be a cakewalk and I need to reinvent myself. I need to recreate myself and I need to figure it out. And I remember actually one night um, I was running on the track and I, it was a fall evening. The moon was out, cool, crisp air. And I finished the run and I was just so frustrated. And I was like, how am I going to do this? You know, I had already sold my Xbox to pay for an additional course. I had no money left and I was pretty much failing. Like I said, mo- most of my courses at that point in the term. And I just had a moment with myself where I said, you know, I am not going to fall to the reality that um, I'm not good enough. Like I can master this. I can pass. I can not only pass, I can exceed and I will graduate with my peers. I am not going to, you know, I'm not going to fold and and go home and not see this through. And, you know, it, it took a lot of, it, it, you know, it, it took a lot of courage and I really had to dig deep. And, um, and I will say from that moment on, it was literally almost like military lifestyle where it was like, you know, up 5 a.m., workout in the library, uh, got a tutor, didn't miss a class, went to every extra help I could get, went to the writing center for help. And by the end of my third year of university, I was on the dean's list. Um, and I never forgot that when I got the letter in the mail saying you made the dean's list. First, I thought they made an error. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, wait, this is what happens when you, you know, you, you invest in personal growth and you work really, really hard and you you figure it out. And, and um, so I was on the dean list, dean's list my third year and then my graduating year. And, um, and then I ended up actually going back to university, uh, to grad school where I did my education degree. And it was then that I was invited to the president's circle of young leaders, which was just quite an esteemed honor to go from literally almost failing out of this university to getting one of the highest honors from the president of the university. Um, yeah. And it, so it was just, I, when I look back at those years, Mike, they're really formative years, but I had a choice. I had a choice. And, um, you know, like, like many times in our lives, we, 
we come to this pivotal moment where we can go the easy way and we can back out or we can stick with it and dig in and really, you know, see it through right to the end. And, um, and again, not knowing how it's all going to work out, just do it, just, just jump in and do it. And, and that was really when I, when I kind of sum up my university years, there was a lot of really good things, but just a ton of learning about myself and my own capabilities and, and, you know, really what is your ceiling? And that, that was a question that I, I continued to ask myself, um, even today. So yeah, just a lot of really, really good learnings and hopefully resonates with folks who are listening in. So how did you keep yourself, you know, you, you go walking around the track, you make these decisions. How did you continue to stay engaged with those? Like, Hey, I made this decision. I'm going to stay committed and see it through. What, what were you doing to keep yourself, um, you know, active, you know, function hitting on those cylinders to complete the goals and the tasks that you've set out? What did you do? Yeah, this is something I actually wrote about in my my second book, uh, Your Best Decade. I wrote about um, it's a chapter called "Burn Boats, Not Bridges," and it's a fame the famous story about you know burn the boats, um, which essentially is an is an analogy for there's no going back, like there is no retreat, and and that's really where I went to that night was absolutely no retreat, like there is no door that you aren't going to knock down, there is no window that you can't climb through. And so the fire was lit and, um, and I think any time that my, uh, motivation was lagging or that I was just felt exhausted, um, you know, I would just literally go for a run or I would literally just get myself up and get to the gym and be like, okay, and now I did that. So I, I completed that. Now I can set up the rest of the day. And there's a really good book out there, uh, by James Clear called Atomic Habits, I'm sure you've read it. A lot of your listeners have probably read it, but if you haven't read it, you need to read that book. And he talks a lot about keystone habits. And I didn't realize this at the time. I wish I knew what keystone habits were at the time, but that was essentially my keystone habit was if I was getting that workout in that hard, vigorous physical activity, it really set everything else up in motion and it changed the trajectory of my days then my months then my years when I, when I was in university. So again, check that book out because that's really what what it was for me was I had to get these keystone habits. Once I achieved those, then I my motivation continued on to to um, to see it to the end. Now you were saying like you went running, and that was something that you know you noticed when you were twelve. Hey, the migraines go away. Were there additional benefits that you were seeing as you were running or walking or going to the gym? Was there other stuff that? Um, helped you with your goals? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and I even find that now today, but at, at that point it was, um, I felt like I was mentally sharper so I could bring more of my, I could kind of tap a different part of my brain, which I later found out through John Rady's book, Spark, that there's a science behind that. So I was kind of like the guinea pig for all of these great things that so many authors tell us and I didn't even realize it. So, um, yeah, like it was like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking better. I'm a little bit sh- more sharp in class. Um, you know, I found like I was able to better manage my energy and my flow of my energy throughout the days. I, I also ate better. So I was putting more nutritious food in my body. Um, yeah, and I found like I just, I was able to, to sleep good. So 
you know, you have the the regular things you do, in, you know, at that point in your life, like you're partying, you're, you know, you're socializing, you do all these other things. But for the most part, I was, I was not doing a lot of that for the majority of, um, of the early years, just trying to get my feet under me, get, you know, figure out this enigma of how am I going to succeed in my program of study and how am I going to actually, you know, make, make myself into something that, um, that I want to be and I want to become. And, um, I was, I, the, you know, the passion for the subject area wasn't lagging. It was just my ability to execute and my ability to, um, what we now know, uh, from, from testing and stuff is I just didn't function well in, in multiple choice testing. I had a lot of situational, uh, anxiety. And so I had to work through all of that. Right. And, you know, literally doing push-ups outside of an exam room to like get my get myself ready like it's just crazy now and i look back at it with what we know uh, about this stuff now but um yeah just a lot of a lot of really uh unique strategies that i applied along the way that i didn't even realize were were probably really really important for a lot of people um but they they really work for me anxiety is something that's common for a lot of us how did you like what were some of the the tactics that you were using um, that some that did work, some that you tried and didn't work. You know, like what are, what are some of those tactics that you've used along the way to address the anxiety? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you if you're, if you're anxious and you do a bunch of pushups in front of a lot of people, the social anxiety can get worse. Uh, so that one didn't necessarily work out that well. Um, but uh, I would say, you know, David Goggins, if you've read any of his work, he he talks about this. I mean, it's a, it's an analogy as well. He calls it taking souls. And if you have an opportunity to take souls, whatever that thing is, um, you know, seize that opportunity. And that was kind of his key word or his key phrase that he would use to uh, kind of go into that. And, you know, not that not that that's what I would use, but I just found that very interesting. And one thing that I I would um, I would of, often think about is, um, you know, when you look at the Navy SEAL training, as an example, uh, and you look at Hell Week and things like that, there's a certain mentality there. And there's a, there's a, you know, it's almost like an unbreakable mentality. And, you know, not that I am ever, you know, calling myself a SEAL here, but, but just like if I could, I knew if I could just take a little bit of that mentality and apply it to my life, um, you know, would I see exponential results and would I be able to overcome some of these things like, you know, anxiety in an exam room? And so the way the way I would look at it as well is I would go into the room knowing that I am more prepared than any other person in the room. Um, there would be people smarter than me. There's always going to be people smarter than me. I am definitely not the smartest person, but no one will outwork me. No one will outstudy me and no one will Oh, dual me in terms of how much effort I can put into this. And if that meant, you know, I'm staying to the final minute of that examination or that test or whatever it was, I did it. And, you know, they would kick me out sometimes. And, you know, again, I wasn't the fastest, I wasn't the brightest, but I, I had the, the, you know, the hardest, I think, or the strongest work ethic. And so a bit of that channeling there, but also just, um, yeah, just this grit and this resilience. And, you know, where, where that really comes from, Mike, I should mention this was, I remember actually uh, in grade eight, I was running track and field. I was running the 1500 
And I remember my grade A teacher coming by the track and he said, uh, he said, come on, Ryan, give, you know, you give it another shot or something like that. And I was like catching the person in front of me. And I remember looking at him and this is in grade eight. And I remember saying, I always got something left. And I think about that a lot. And I kind of carried that mentality too. Like I always got something left. Like you can just at that bitter end when you think you don't have it, there's always something left. And, um, and yeah, so I, th- I think really a lot of that comes back to, to my grade eight, uh, track running days really. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of how I, how I did it. That's cool. Yeah. I think that like that tenacity, that, that work ethic, cause that's, that is what we can control. There, mm-hmm. there will be other factors that are out of our control. We can't influence, but you're focused on what we can. And what I think is interesting you know, like you talked earlier about your professor saying, you know, whoever was your, your English teacher, you know, needed to have a stern talking with, right. <laughs> More or less. And then you end up turning around and not just doing one book, but three books that you've authored. How did you get from something which could be like an identity, right? Many of us will mm-hmm. buy into something we can't do and identify ourselves with that weakness. How did you get from that point of not writing well to then becoming an author? Yeah. You know, that that's really interesting because I wasn't great at writing, but I loved it. And, you know, I remember walking out of that room and thinking, man, this is not good. And just really frustrated and really like, what I did not expect this. I was a bit floored. And then, you know, as I kind of ventured through those emotions and, and kind of, you know, floated through the term or, you know, waded through the term, I guess, uh, and began to kind of get my feet under me, I started a blog. I started writing because I knew I loved it. And it was a terrible blog. It was called Wellness Network Blog. It was one of those old blog spot websites any of your listeners used to have those or read on those but um so yeah the the interface was terrible the content was okay but uh i started that back in like 2010 maybe and uh and i just i was just committed to just writing what i'm passionate about no one's going to market no one's going to tell me it's terrible they do they just won't come anymore i'm just going to write even if one person comes to the site and i probably did that for three years just consistently writing two or three blogs on there a month and then that really morphed uh, from there. Uh, I started to actually get quite a bit of traction on it. It started to do quite well. Um, and then I started, uh, when, it, when my career started taking off, I started writing for uh, different magazines and doing featured articles and things like that. And then I realized, hmm, maybe I'm actually not as bad at this as I, I once was, right? It's just like anything. You just fine tune it as you go. And from there, it really morphed into um, freelance writing and, you know, writing for some of the largest publications on the internet back in 2017, 2018. And then from there, I said, okay, I think I can, I can write my book. And I always knew I was going to write one. I just, you know, part of me thought I had to look like Socrates to do it, you know? And, uh, and I was like, well, I think at the time I was 28 or 29, I was like, well, maybe I'll write it now. And so I did, but, uh, but, you know, I was like, obviously the imposter syndrome kicked in, right? Like, okay, now I'm going to like share this with the world. This is very vulnerable. At one time I wasn't very good at this. Are people going to judge me? Am I going to get that failure again? Like I got in the past. And so all of that stuff came back and I was like, you know what? 
whatever. It, it'll get out there. It'll get out there. Um, and I'm glad I took the leap because it's kind of led to now having three and I got a fourth one coming out, uh, later this year. So, um, yeah, it, long story short, it was something that I just loved and, and just wanted to continue to work on. And now I, I just put it out there a little bit more each time and, um, and yeah, we'll see where it goes as I continue to, to refine it. I think if you're going to see yourself as Socrates, man, we got to work on having a toga as like, you know, the picture for this fourth book here, right? <laughs> right, right. And I know like there's some authors out there really big on the Stoics and like that, that's kind of coming back, you know? And yeah. I remember like from philosophy with Plato and, and Socrates being like, oh, maybe I need to be like as wise as that for I write, you know? And, um, but no, here I am. I got a few grays coming in, but uh, I'm still, uh, still not quite like Socrates. Well, if they start coming in too much, right, and you can just, you know, go go my way and shave it all off. So, then yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, how yeah. did you how did you go about like the process of you know authoring your book, like publishing it? Because it's, I mean, one, you're getting over the the belief that it's like I'm not good at writing, so you're conquering that. But two. It's like, I don't know about you, but starting on something like that until I get through the journey of like publishing or, you know, being a parent, a husband, whatever the, the activity is until I've done it, I don't know much about it. How did you grow through that to now, you know, go like, okay, Hey, yeah, I'm, this is old hat for me. Yeah. That's a really good question. So a lot of lessons. Uh, I got to say, I learned a lot. Um, the publishing process is pretty much like, uh, I'm trying to think what's comparable to, but I mean, I feel like we know more of like, I'm trying to think, but anyway, it, it is like the wild west out there in terms of publishing. And, you know, if you live in a different, whatever country you live in, could be different publishing laws. I learned that because at the time I was writing my second book, I was in the Middle East and to publish a book in, in the Middle East in in Abu Dhabi was just like a painful headache. And, uh, and as you know, my history with headaches, I don't want that. So, uh, so I waited until I came back to North America to publish, but yeah, it, it is really um, a convoluted and confusing um, process, which is why I, I now coach authors and help them to, you know, bring their book to life in an efficient way without those headaches. But the first time I did it, I had a lot of learnings. I didn't realize, uh, for example, that, you know, um, people be so harsh on, on your content. Um, but that was something I learned early on. Another thing that I learned is that you can have an incredible message, but, uh, if you don't meet the market where the market is at, then it's not going to get anywhere. And, that was something I had to spend a lot of time in upping my marketing game and my marketing tactics and things like that, because there's algorithms with all of this now. And I didn't realize that I was like, okay, when I press send, the whole world's going to buy my book. Then I realized nobody's buying it. So and I was like, okay, now I need to learn. Why is that? So that's, that's, uh, you know, something that a lot of authors maybe don't think about is they think, oh, I'm going to, you know, craft this beautiful book, but you know, maybe one person reads it because there's different ways it needs to be positioned for it to actually reach the intended market. So that was something that I learned the hard way. Another thing that I learned was um, 
you know, I had a couple people in my ear. I had a great editor, but a couple people in my ear kind of giving me suggestions on content. And I probably listened too much to that. And it ended up really not panning out. Whereas I should have just stuck with like almost like a true artist, right? Like, could you imagine going up to like um, uh, Da Vinci or Van Gogh and be like, mm, you know, I think you need to just like change this here. You know, it, it would sound crazy, right? But like, when you're a writer, it feels like everybody has like an opinion, right? Everybody's like, oh, no, no, you need to like shift here. You need to write about this. So I probably brought too many people into the process and I lost a little bit of the art in that. And I really try to treat this last book as art and, and just real authentic uh, creative work that I'm bringing out to the market, to the world. And I, and I hope others would do that too uh, in their own unique way and not get caught up in, in some of the noise out there. So that, that's, those are just some of the things that I learned along the way. And, um, and then I made some mistakes too, just with the publishing process to the point where Amazon emailed me and they're like, Ryan, we are, if you make one more mistake, we're not going to publish you. And so that, you know, when Amazon's emailing you, it's not good. So, um, definitely learned a lot in, in early days of publishing for sure. Dude, I, I will say this, like from what you've shared about, um, in the process, you know, being careful who you have alongside of you, speaking to you and giving you that wisdom, man, that, that goes far beyond just even, you know, self-publishing, but who do we take guidance from in, you know, like self-improvement, how they see us, you know, as far as being a, a, a husband, a father, you know, career, that that's like universal. I think who, who mm. has our ear and is speaking into us. I love that. Um, the one thing I, I did want to ask is, okay. So we talked a little bit about how, you know, I was risk averse, right? I didn't want to make a mistake because I was afraid I would be identified as a failure and, you know, blacklisted. Um, you're really risk tolerant and you're ready to step out there and give things a try. How can you like through like your personal growth coaching, how do you guide somebody to increase their risk tolerance to be able to say, Hey, I can make a mistake and that's okay. How do you guide somebody to that point? Yeah, that's a really good question. One of the things or two things come to mind. The first thing is, everybody's comfort zones are, are totally different, right? Like my, my boundaries may look very different than my neighbors and than yours in different ways. Right. And our skill sets are different. Um, and everybody brings a unique set of assets to the decisions that they're making and the actions that they're taking. And so I really start pe with people with that in mind, you know, uh, I, I ask questions, try to get them on the edge, like figure out where, where are those edges, you know, um, where are those edges professionally, where are those edges personally. And then once I kind of have a bit of an understanding of that, I can kind of, you know, offer some suggestions, challenge them in different ways. And I, there, there, there's just one really good example comes to mind. And this is something that I actually heard from, from, uh, uh, from someone in the past, but it was, uh, it was actually someone who was on Oprah and she was trying to make fitness uh, lifestyle decisions. And, uh, she was trying to get herself to the gym. Her goal was, I want to get to the gym, uh, just one day a week. She couldn't do it. She couldn't get to the gym. And so finally what she said was, I'm just going to put on my, my gym clothes. I'm going to pack my gym bag, pack my water bottle, and I'm going to walk to the gym. 
So she got out the door, walked into the gym, walked in the front door, took a look around and left and then checked goal achieved, right? And when we think about it, it kind of sounds crazy. But then when you also dig into that, you realize, well, for that person, the edge of their comfort zone, that was something that they could not get over. They could not get to, oh, you know, yeah, you need to be in the gym three days a week. It's just never going to happen for that person. So, you know, for them, they needed to just get in the door and then they need to get in the door two days. Then they need to get in the door five days. Then they can start to add 10, 15 minutes or whatever. Right. So just really getting to the, to the core of where people are at is something that I focus on and then really build from there. And another thing that I, I try to do as well, Mike, and this is something I write about in, in your best decade is I talk about values and, you know, school is, this is something that gets lost. I think in school and our education system in North America is what do we value? And, you know, sometimes we, we don't know what we value until we've lost something or until things are so out of order that we have to go and figure out what we actually value. But what if we were proactive with that? And we just, you know, kind of did a values assessment and just kind of talked to somebody about it. And that's something that I bake into, to my coaching and into, into my writing. And that, you know, what are your top three to five values and how can you live each day according to those values? So if you value family, what does that look like? If you value fitness, what does that look like? If you value having, you know, healthy finances, what does that look like? And, um, and so that's something that I really talk about too, because it's so easy in today's world to get so distracted to kind of go here, go there. Um, I don't want to say too much because I'm giving, giving away my next book, but the point is, is, uh, those are kind of the areas that I start with, with folks and, and just getting them to, uh, get clear on that and then, and then begin to take action uh, moving forward. Yeah. Discovering and owning your values, dude, it's something I had no clue. And so I was just wandering. Like I was like a raft on the ocean, right? Just going about, I had no clue. And once you, you determine and decide upon your values, dude, it's, it gives you a rudder and a sail to, to go with, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's life-changing. So yeah, that's absolutely a, a, a pillar of what, you know, in the coaching I work through as well. Cause it's like, man, at least know why and, and who, and what is driving you, you know, it's just mm -hmm. one part of it with the values, but it's so pivotal. All right, man. So you mentioned your fourth book. When is that coming out? Well, I don't want to lock myself into a day here too, too, too early, but, um, I'm hoping it's out by, uh, December, November, December, 2023 for your listeners. Uh, that's the, the goal. Um, and yeah, it is going to be, well, I shared on Twitter the other day that two words have come to mind in this writing process with this book. And the two words are soul filling it is just filling my soul. The more that I write this. And I think if you're in your 20s, 30s, really any kind of decade of life, uh, I think you'll pick some stuff out of it. But it is, I, I think we're at a tremendous, a tremendous, we have a tremendous opportunity right now. And um, in that opportunity to kind of, like we've been talking about, Mike, about recreating ourselves, um, but also kind of figuring out who it is that we are along that way. Um, I think it's just something that we can't take for granted and how do we actually navigate that? And that's really what the book is going to be about. So 
I'll share more when it gets closer, but yeah, I'd love to come back, you know, maybe next season or something and chat with you more about the struggles and things I learned in that process. But um, so far so good. And, you know, I'm really enjoying the writing process, which also just fills me and, uh, and I hope it really comes out in the writing of this one. Yeah. When you mentioned soul filling, it's like, I'm, I'm looking at little dots in your life right now going, you've just moved from Ottawa to, you know, near the ocean that for you is filling, you know, like your, your space for writing. I'm just like, okay, Ryan, this one's going to crush it. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing the journey and how things come about. Cause I think you've put yourself in a better space, um, by making an intentional decision to move to where you're at, to be able to do this. So, well, Ryan, how can guys reach out and connect with you outside of the podcast? Yeah. So the best place is definitely, uh, through, through email. So you can connect with me, um, just foy consulting at gmail.com. Uh, my, my email is also on my website. So if you just Google Ryan Foy, I think it's the top hit. So you can find my site there, uh, connect with me via email. Also pretty active on Twitter. I don't know if Twitter's alive or dead or open or closed. I never know what's going on with Twitter, but I'm still on there. Uh, so if people are using Twitter, you can just uh, tweet me at wellnessrf. Um, and then, uh, you know, good old LinkedIn is always a great space as well. So yeah, if folks just want to reach out, uh, you know, definitely mention this podcast. Uh, that way we, we can kind of have some mutual things to chat about and love to keep the conversations going for sure. One thing I would ask you. Can you spell Foy? Because I, I want to make sure people connect with the right Ryan and are able to connect, you know, get in touch with you. Yeah, yeah. Good point, Mike. So it's uh, Ryan and then last name is F-A-H-E-Y. So it actually looks like Fahey, but pronounced Foy. So if you're in Boston and you're listening to this, it's definitely Fahey, but uh, Eastern Canada, we say Foy. So um, F-A-H-E-Y, there you go. Perfect. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure because it's like, the other Ryan might not, you know, be able to, to provide all the, the, the guidance that you would. So, <laughs> well, Yeah, that's cool. true. Ryan, thanks so much, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Mike. And um, yeah, looking forward to more conversations down the road. Absolutely. My friend. Thanks so much, my friend for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one. <laughs>